Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in Southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. It's Saturday morning. It's 70 degrees outside. The birds are chirping. There's a little bit of cloud cover and the sun is peeking through those clouds. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. And there's a buzz around you. And that buzz is people are beginning to set up pop-up tents. And teams dressed in uniforms and jerseys are beginning to gather under those pop-up tents. And they've got their duffel bags. And they've got their water bottles. And they're all coming together for a race. So I ran cross-country in high school. I've, I've always been better at sports that are against myself than against other people. Maybe that says something about me and my insecurity, but that's always been me. So, and if if you've ever run any particular distance, you may have an idea of sort of the dynamics, both physiologically and in your mind that are happening as you run. If you've never run before or run a race before, I'll kind of give you a, a picture of that. When that gun goes off, there's this line that you've got this whole pack of people and everyone's packed in and they're all so jazzed and so excited and they're ready to go. And then you got this, and it sounds like a legit gun, boom, goes off. As that gun goes off, this giant pack of people begin to scatter in a direction. And the adrenaline is flowing and pumping and the, the glucose begins to be burned and the, the blood extends away from your uh, organs into your muscles. It, your breathing quickens because your oxygen needs begin to increase and you begin to sweat. And you feel great for like two minutes. And especially if you're, if you're running a 5K, which is normally what I did, you're, you're trying to essentially, as much as you can, all-out sprint for 3.1 miles. So that's really fun at the beginning. But it gets really old really quick. Because as you may be aware, lactic acid then begins to, to build up in your muscles, and then it starts the burn. And it starts to hurt. And you start to grow weary almost right after the gun has just sounded. About halfway through, as you continue to fight for faith and hope to keep going, then the pack begins to thin out. And there's this, there's this eerie sense of quiet. And you're no longer in this great pack of people, but everyone begins to be more spread out and staggered. But this is also when it starts to get a lot more difficult to stick with it. Because you, you kind of think, no one's around right now. I could walk and my coach won't yell at me because he can't see me, right? No one else is around me, so I could just duck behind this tree and take a nap or throw up or whatever I need to do, and no one would be worse for the wear. This is when you start to get in your head. You feel like that, that finish line is never going to happen. 
We're never going to make it. I'm going to be stuck running this path through the woods again and again and again. I'm pretty sure this is never going to end. And this is when that desire to quit gets really big. When that voice in your head, just stop, just stop, just stop, gets very loud. Someone passes you, you may slow down a little bit, right? You get the stitch in your side, you get the, sh- the shin splint. And then there's the moment when you come around this bend and all of a sudden you hear Darla Kemp. Go, Jer! My mom was never a cheerleader, but she should have been. She, she had this loud, has this loud, gregarious voice, and she made sure that everybody around knew that that was her kid, and she was proud. And at that point, then, okay, then your head gets picked back up, and you get a little bit of boost, and you go ahead on towards the end. Now, when you get to the finish line, there's this part called the kick. And at the kick, you literally give every bit of energy that you have left. But here's the really neat thing, and this is part of the imagery in the passage that we're about to read. Races in this time, even in the Olympics at that time, generally started away. They started out in the outskirts of town. And then over the course of time, you may have seen this like in bike races uh, and things that go for, for, um, you know, tens and even hundreds of miles, where they'll start in somewhere super remote and then they'll end in the city with these really tight walls and people just packed side uh, between left and the right of you where the, and they're just cheering their heads off. And it's, the roar is almost so loud you can't even hear yourself think. That's what it's like when you get to the end, when you get to the kick, when you think that you're just going to fall flat on your face and not make it across that finish line. And then it's not just Darla Kemp, but then it's every other parent. And it's every other sibling and every other teammate. And they're all, you know, cheering you on. Go, don't give up. You can make it. And then you collapse across the finish line into the embrace of your team. There's a really good metaphor for the Christian life in that. And that's the metaphor that we're going to be spending the majority of our time together today with. So keep that image in your head because we're going to keep coming back to it. Because isn't the Christian life one that you start off with this pump of adrenaline? I'm following Jesus. My life's going to be great. I have this new sense of hope, this new sense of purpose. Everything is wonderful. The clouds are, are, are parting. The birds are chirping. The sun is shining. But it doesn't take too long until a day like today comes. When disappointment and fear, maybe cynicism, Bitterness, confusion, anger, whatever that may be, begins to come. When your life and the trajectory that you thought Jesus was going to take you on is not the path that you end up walking. And it feels a lot more like the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible has a category for that too. He has a category for what's happening today. So let's sit with both of those images, both the hope and also the reality of the Christian life. Because we're closing a church today. And so the, the burn is real, right? The hurt is real. The, the pain internally and in those around us is real. 
And so let's acknowledge that. And let's see what the Bible has to say. So we're concluding this Hebrews 11 series by reading the very beginning of Hebrews 12 that says, the very beginning of it is, therefore. Anytime you see that word, you always look, what has just happened that now the Bible is concluding in a summary statement? Here is that summary statement. Based on what we have seen in all of the study we have done with all of these Old Testament saints and sinners, both in the same person most times, all times, what we are going to see that these have been stories of faith in the midst of confusion, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of sin, in the midst of pain. And this is the encouragement to us today as we go through the same thing that many have gone through before us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith. Here's the key. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's three encouragements today out of this passage, out of this word from the Lord. First, lay it down. Second, look up. Third, press on. Lay it down, look up, press on. Uh, do you guys remember, uh, those of you who are my age, uh, there was this fad in the, in the early, mid-90s where, uh, you know, like step aerobics was a thing. Does anybody remember step aerobics? Maybe your moms did it, you had the videos in front of the TV, and, you know, I won't, never mind. I was about to show you, but I won't. Um, there were these things called ankle weights. And you would put, they were like five pound weights and you'd put them around your ankles, obviously. And, and then they would help to, you know, I don't know, tone muscles or whatever. What would it be like if you had those ankle weights on and you tried to run that 5K that I just described? I heard a, uh. <laughs> right? Imagine the pain. What would it do to your time? It would kill it. What would it do to your enjoyment? It'd be gone. Right? How miserable would that be to have to run with those ankle weights on? The first encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gives to us today is lay aside the weights. Right? And we don't have to look very far. That so many things in our life every week come at us and weigh us down. Right? Just think of in the past week. Whatever it may be for you, it could be medical bills, it could be car repair, it could be a, a stomach ache that you can't shake, it could be worries about your children, it could be worries about politics, it could be worried about worries about this church, it could be worries about your future, right? Jesus is immensely wise when he says these words, do not be anxious about your life. Today has enough worry of its own. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, or what you will wear. Does not your heavenly Father care for you? Right? The wisdom of this passage says that there are going to be things every morning when we wake up, when it feels like 
we put two feet on the floor and we got those five pound ankle weights on again. And every day is just a slog to get from one side to the other. The encouragement here is to unstrap those things and take them off. Now the word lay aside is, is a really interesting word. The word for lay aside is, is actually to place in a different location. Here's how I would apply that. What this is not saying is, ah, oh, just forget about all that hard stuff in your life. Just be positive and everything will be okay. Right? That's foolishness. It, if we pretend like hard things in our life don't exist, then eventually those things will stick to us emotionally, mentally, physically even, and they will continue to show up five and 10 and 20 years in the future, which is why I keep saying, don't forget to grieve right now. Don't forget to say to the Lord, I hate this. Why is this happening? He can handle those things, right? But where are you putting those worries? You are laying them aside, not just to sort of forget about them, but you're putting them in another location. Where is that location? It is in the able hands of your heavenly Father who cares for you. Lay them aside, not by forgetting. Lay them aside by handing them every morning, taking those weights off of you and placing them on to him. He is able. He can handle it. Now, not only that, uh, there's another image here, and the best way that I can describe this is about a year ago, we were having a church party, and um, my oldest child, may he remain nameless, uh, pushed me into the pool at the ward's house. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> I do, too. That was fun. Mm-hmm. If, if you were there, you watched me sin. Out loud, technicolor, right out in front of everybody. I felt a lot of shame when I left that night. Here's the point. When I got out of there, when I got out of that pool, I, I was trying to chase him, and I couldn't, right? Because my soggy clothes, I was, actually, I was wearing almost this exact thing. Uh, my soggy clothes were weighing me down. They were, st- you never been, you know, full clothes and wet. It just sticks to you. I couldn't catch him. This is the other thing that it says for us to do is not only to take the weights off, just the normal struggles of life. It says even more than that, the thing that's really going to stick to you more closely than any of that stuff, the stuff that's going to feel like wet clothes when you just got pushed in the pool is going to be the sin that you bring into every day of your life. And so let's just apply this in one particular way. Let's say that you don't take off those weights to apply it just, just to what we were talking about. If you wake up and every morning those, you feel weighed down again, excuse me, by all of the normal struggles of the world, what begins to happen to you? That's painful, right? Life is painful. This world is broken. Things are going to come into your life every day that you're not going to enjoy. You have two options. You either let God deal with them or you cope with them. What does coping look like? Coping looks like 
anything from uh, drink to lust to binge eating to binge watching to trying to control or manipulate someone else to lying and trying to make yourself look a certain way. Anything that we can, can, can do to control our world is what we will try to do. If we're not giving those weights away, the only thing else we can do is try to take those weights on ourselves, and it will always end poorly. David Pallison, who's a, um, he's deceased now, but he was a, a prolific writer and counselor over the past um, 30, 40 years or so. He says something along these lines. I heard it in an interview one time. He says, every time you go to the freezer for ice cream, when you feel sad, instead of going to the Lord first, then you're short-circuiting something that he wants to do in you, right? If your first move anytime you're sad or angry or lonely or hopeless is to go to some comfort, some creature comfort, you are short-circuiting the work that the Lord wants to do in you. Don't do it. Do not let the closure of this church drive you into deeper sin. Do not let whatever fear, confusion, anger, cynicism, bitterness that may be coming on to you, do not let that be an excuse for you to lay back, cross your arms, and say, church is for the birds. Jesus is too important. Churches come and go. The body of Christ is not. Do not let that take a foothold in your life. Instead, what do you do with it? The sin which clings so closely. We can look up. We can look up in in two directions here. It, It goes on to say, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? When, when we think that we're the only people who have ever struggled, when we think that we're the only people who have ever had anything bad happen to them in their life, when we think that we are the, the only people who have ever had this particular set of, of circumstances, we can look up. And we can look to our left, and we can look to our right, and we can see those who have gone before us. Right? And so if you remember some of what we've been talking through in our sermon series here, right? look back at Abraham, who was told by God, leave everything. Have no idea where you're going. F- wake up and follow me every day. We're not the first people to have that feeling. Look to Joseph, who was sold into slavery, done wrong, the receive, re- recipient of great injustice, had no idea, brought him into a completely foreign land where he had nothing. Look to Horatio Spafford, who lost his four girls in a shipwreck, only to be passing over the very same spot where their ship sank later, pinning the words, it is well with my soul. Look to Elizabeth Elliot whose husband was killed by a tribe that he was going to witness and share the good news of Jesus with. And she, instead of growing bitter and angry and cynical, went back into that tribe. And many came to know Jesus because of it. We are not the first ones to hurt. We are not the first ones to struggle at the hands of the Lord. We've not done anything wrong here. 
the Lord has chosen a different path for us as he did with Abraham, as he did with Joseph, as he has done with so many. We're not the first to suffer loss, grief, pain, or confusion on this road of following Jesus. So we can look to these saints who have gone before us, imitate their way of godliness, yes. But there's another direction we can look as well. Because if you've been with us, as we've been preaching through this series, most everyone on this hall of faith that you would expect to be so amazing and wonderful and saintly and perfect were total bozos. They missed the mark time after time after time. Remember, look back to Israel who turned their back on God after he had just done this amazing work at parting the Red Sea. And then they're like, hmm, I'd kind of rather go back to Egypt. They had soup. Gideon, who was one of the judges that we just talked about a few weeks ago, he struggled with doubt his entire ministry career. Will God? Well, I'm too weak. I'm too small. I die. If you've ever been there. Look to David, who after one of God's greatest acts of faithfulness in wiping out, giving him victory over entire cities, he then turns away and commits adultery and murder. Giant screw-up. Giant mess. Look to St. Augustine, who had a deep battle and inordinate attraction to women. Look to Charles Spurgeon, who had a lifelong struggle with depression and anxiety. We are not the first to stumble and struggle our way through following Jesus. Many have gone before us in great faith, and many have gone before us in great struggle. One and the same, saint and sinner. So were they, so are we. And so we can't only say, let's just look to this hall of faith and let's do as good as we can and then God's going to work. No, it is very much the opposite way. Because what we bring to the table this morning, what we bring even to the table that we're about to partake is nothing but need. Right? If, if we're going to close out in any kind of way, let us close out this way. Looking to Jesus. Two words of massive importance. The founder and the perfecter. Right? We can't only look to these moral heroes and say, be like them. Right? I can watch Steph Curry drain a three-pointer from half court and it doesn't necessarily make me a better basketball player. Because I need power. I need new ability. I need, I need a new heart. I need a new mind. I need new abilities to live and think and pray and walk differently than I am currently thinking and living and walking. And this is why we not only look to the left and look to the right at the saints who have gone before us, but we look squarely to the end of the finish line to Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder of our faith. It is Jesus who before the foundation of the world chose those who would be his. And the likes of you and I. It is Jesus who came to the earth to die for particular sins of particular people that he would one day bring to full completion 
with him. It is Jesus who rose from the grave so that even the worst thing that can happen to us, that is death, is not the worst thing. It is actually the best. Because he has been raised, so will we, trusting in him. It is Jesus who today sits on the throne, ruling and reigning over all things. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory forever. So let's go out today, not only looking to the left and looking to the right, but looking straight ahead to the author and the finisher who is persevering with us, holding us in his hand. In the same way that he began with us, so he will continue and bring to completion the work that he has started. And that includes finding us a new church home. It's very important to him. Last thing, we lay it down, we look up, and I just forgot the other one. Oh yeah, we press on. Uh, so if you've ever seen Bear Grylls, you know, any of his shows, typically, you know, there's a helicopter and it just sort of drops him off wherever, and then he has to sort of, you know, in his best survivally way, figure out one, how to survive, and two, how to get to whatever checkpoint that the helicopter or whatever is going to be there to then lift him back out. And it's, hit, it's on him. He's figuring it out. He's making sure he survives. Everything is on his shoulder and whatever celebrity he's bringing along the way. The Christian life is not an adventure race. How do you know where to go in a 5K? How do you know where to go if you're running Mayfair? There's, there's these little stakes that are in the ground and this pink ribbon that runs all the way down the line. Like, notice the verbing. Notice the, the wording that, uh, that is in verse 1. It's on my other page. Run the race that is what? Set before you. Right? This is not up to us to chart a course from one helicopter drop to another. This is, this is a life with Jesus that is, there's pink tape on both sides that is driving us in the direction that he wants us to go. Do you remember Heidelberg? Question one that we just read. What is your only hope in life and death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all my sin with his precious blood, has set me free from the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way, listen, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work for my salvation. Wherever Jesus takes you next, whatever church he roots you in, Whatever shape your life takes from this moment forward is not an accident. It's not up to you ultimately to figure it out. Yes, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is he who wills and works and works it out for us. And with that kind of hope, we can run this race with abandon, not trembling that we've veered off some way. Did we veer off of God's will by closing this church? No. This is so in his will. This is so in his wheelhouse to take ashes and turn it to beauty, to take brokenness and turn it to joy. That's what he's in the business of. 
That's why the gospel is good news, because he's done that in, in those who have trusted in him by faith, and he continues to do that every moment of our lives henceforth. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right? This is a reminder that there is a joy that's better than being in control of your own life. There is a joy that's better than you charting your own course, than dying of old age warm in your bed with lots of money. There is a better life than that. And that life is one that extends forever. That life is one that includes a new heavens and a new earth. That life includes every one of the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the saints who have gone before us, and even those of us today in this room trusting in Christ by faith. It includes a table, much bigger than this one, where Jesus will sit at the head and will pour the best wine first. And so, Eric Liddell, you may have seen the Chariots of Fire movie. I couldn't end without quoting something that he said. He was an Olympic runner in the early 1900s who gave up his entire uh, Olympic career after winning a gold medal to go serve and ultimately die in China as a missionary. This is what he said. It's been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I've been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than I have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. Because what this table signifies is that there is a day coming when the wine will never stop flowing, when there will be as much as we could ever want to eat, where we will never have to worry or cry there will be no dying. There will be no pain. And in this little moment right here, we get to taste a small bit of that reality, knowing that the true and better reality of this table is coming. And so there's three questions to ask yourself this morning as we come and take the table together for the last time. The first is, do you know him? Not only do you know the concept of the Christian life and are trying to live that out, do you know Jesus personally? Have you gone on record and said, I am a big sinner and he is a great savior, like these membership vows that were just taken? Second, are you connected to a community of believers? Do others know that you know him and are helping you to walk this out? That's why this table image is so powerful because the Christian life is not a solo one. And lastly, are you reconciled with other believers and with others in the community? That doesn't mean you have to have perfect relationships. But is there a, a root of bitterness for anyone in your life that you are not willing to give them the mercy that God has shown you in Christ? If any of those things are not true, please let this pass you by. But to the degree that those things are true of you, that God has worked and willed those things in your life, then please come and take and eat by faith. And as you do, let's remember that there is a day coming. Though we may never see each other in this life again, if that be the case. But this is not all there is. There is another life that is much longer. And I'm going to get to learn to play the electric guitar, finally. 
and whatever that is for you and whoever that is for you that you may be missing now as we walk out these doors, you can know that you can have a seat right next to him at the table of the king.